What's going on, FA Nation? Dan Malin, Mike Alexander, back at it once again for a much better UFC card this week. We didn't do one last week, a uh, little busy schedule, and uh, it just wasn't a great card. But Mike, we're back at it for Flight Island. How are you doing this week? Doing pretty good, Dan. Ready to uh, dive into this juicy fight night card. Uh, a lot better than we usually get, so it's a, it's a, it's a nice treat for a change. Now... This is going to be one of those cards where uh, I have not had any time to really build, you know, podcast notes, do any research on my own. So this will be as much of a learning experience for me as it is for our listeners. And it's going to be, I guess, an entertaining podcast for the listeners because there are some tough names to pronounce in this one. Uh, hopefully you will guide us through everything. Um, is there anything we really need to know differently about how the, the Fight Island playbooks? I know the I think the start time for this card is once again. Oh, it's 5 p.m. on Saturday. It's a little bit earlier, right? Yeah, because uh, there's so many fights. T- typically, they, they've had you know a little less, even still over there so far. But 13 fights here uh, and and great great lineup. So, all right. According to Mike, it's an awesome card. Uh, playbook will be out Friday or Saturday. Friday, yeah. Working Should on be Friday. It. Friday, and then. Uh, Keep an eye out for the DFS Cornerman video and the Best Bets video. Those will be out Friday night, Saturday morning. Uh, but with that said, screw it. Let's just dive right into the card. The main event, uh, five rounds at 135 pounds. Corey Sanhagen versus Marlon Moraes. Moraes, uh, it's actually kind of an even fight pricing-wise. Uh, Sanhagen is 8,200. Moraes is 8,000. I'm leaning Moraes here a little bit. Um, but I mean, is this one of those fights that we could possibly stack in cash? The price tags are pretty even and based on what they've both done recently, I feel like there's a decent chance this goes to the cards and you could get good value from both of them collectively. Yeah. I mean, if it weren't a five round fight, I would say it had a shot at seeing the cards. Five rounds is going to be tough for Marlon Marais. He, he tends to gas somewhere in his fights. The dude is super bricked up. I mean, you look at his physique and it's just it's pretty yep. Yeah, and you know, you, you just you can't maintain cardio There's with that physique. He's yeah. that's his choice. He's choosing I want to be the super powerful, dangerous striker, and you know I know I got to get it done quick. He did go three rounds with Jose Aldo, and you know won the first round, gassed in the second, lost it, but did rally in the third and, and won a close close decision there over Jose Aldo. So. But, you know, if, if he gets into the fourth and fifth round with Corey Sanhagen, Sanhagen is a machine. The, the dude is an absolute freak when it comes to pacing. It just keeps going, doesn't care about eating damage. Uh, it's big trouble for Marais. I don't think he'll have the cardio to survive a fourth or fifth round. That's kind of what happened in the Segudo fight when Marais' challenge for the title was, you know, Marais' great first round was, was teeing off on, on Segudo. And then... You know, somewhere in the second and third rounds, he just ran out of gas and started eating knees to the head, uh, and that was all she wrote. But the interesting thing about this fight is that both guys' weaknesses are the other guy's strengths. So Marais, you know, we talked about the cardio being a problem. That's what Sanhagen is all about. He wants to just stay super busy, use his really huge reach. He's 5'11", you know, for, for the division. It's really big. Marais is 5'6", and he's a fairly big uh, 135-er himself. So, um, you know, that's that's what Sanhagen is all about. He does have defensive deficiencies, though, particularly the grappling. We saw um, 
Aljamain Sterling right away. Didn't even mess around on the feet in their fight. Just came right out, took him down, submitted him, lickety split. You know, Sanhagen didn't even break a sweat. So, um, you know, that's that's been an issue for him. He's been on the mat with most of his UFC opponents. He's been in submission attempts and, and had some hairy spots that he's been able to survive. Uh, so, you know, Marais does have the jiu-jitsu game. He doesn't use it often, but if, if he gets tired and, you know, maybe ties up, gets a takedown, that's a path for him. As well as Sanhagen is hittable. Um, you know, he's got a 58% striking defense, nothing to write home about. But when you're, when you're cranking that pace and you're inviting a really fast pace back, uh, you know, you can't absorb 58% of Marlon Marais' strikes and live to tell about it. You know, he did it against John Lineker, uh, who's, you know, a pretty murderous puncher in his own right. But Lineker is like a junkyard dog. Just, you know, he, he, he doesn't have any finesse to his game. He just comes out and swings as hard as he possibly can with every shot. And Sanhagen did a really nice job of minimizing the impact of Lineker's strikes. You know, they obviously hurt, but he made him go to the body a lot. And, and you know, when he didn't, he was able to you know, work with, you know, flow with the strike, things like that, and, and block a lot of it. So he didn't get knocked out. He, you know, barely survived it, but it, it was a really fun fight, took a close split decision. If that's Marlon Marais landing those shots, I don't think Sanhagen would survive. So going to be fun to see who can dictate and, and impose their will. Um, I'm trying to figure out who the chalky side is going to be. I would have thought Sanhagen because he's got the pacing, He's a little bit of the younger fighter, the, the more trendy guy. You know, Marais, people have kind of moved off of. He's, he's had a couple of performances in a row that have been lackluster. Um, but, you know, he's got the, the dangerous knockout ability. So I, I, I've heard both sides on Twitter. My personal take is that Sanhagen will be more popular. So I want a, a slight uh, hair more of Marais just for the leverage. But, yeah, very close fight. A tell us up. Stackable in cash. You know, moderately stackable. It's it's got a chance that it could end. Either guy could end it early. Um, so it's it's not a guaranteed thing to see the cards. All right, <clears throat> moving on to the next fight. It's Edson Barbosa, eighty eight hundred versus Makwan Amirakani. We were talking a little bit about this fight before we started recording, kind of making fun of uh, Amirakani's uh, picture on MMA Tapology. But uh, regardless, you know, you mentioned when we were talking about the last fight that the other guy, you know, one fighters. You know, weakness is like the other guy's strength. And, and I feel like we kind of get that same read in this fight. Um, you know, Barbosa's 60% of his wins have been by knockout or TKO. Amir Khani, 67% of his wins have been via submission. So, you know, and, and you mentioned before we started recording that Amir Khani's striking is is pathetic. And that that's pretty evident. He lands 1.75 stri- significant strikes per minute, per minute. Barbosa lands about four per minute. Uh, Barbosa is obviously the better striker, but if this gets to the mat, it could go to Amirakani. Who do you like in this fight, though? So that's the big question. Can Amirakani get it to the mat? His takedowns, he's, he's got sneaky takedowns. He's not like a big power wrestler, but, you know, he's just a little bit tricky with it. He does get guys down. Um, you know, he, he was able to do it against Chris Fishgold, a guy that is a pretty strong uh, 145-er. Didn't, didn't bother him, was able to take him down. But Fishgold's kind of like a dumpster fire. So, um, you know, I, I see a lot of the shades of the Shane Burgos fight with Amir Khani here facing Barboza. Much bigger guy. You know, Barboza was a 155er. Amir Khani's a small 145er. 
if he wanted to, he should be able to make uh, 135, but he just doesn't want to cut a ton of weight. Um, Barbosa, you know, his first fight down at 145, he made the weight and looked enormous against Dan Ige. I think he beat Dan Ige. You know, he took the first two rounds in my eyes. A lot of people agreed with that, said it was a robbery. I don't throw a robbery around very lightly, so uh, that that's where I'm coming from with Barbosa. He should be, you know, getting ready to start a, a two-fight win streak here. But, yeah, the breakdown's pretty clean cut. If Amir Khani can't get him down or isn't able to finish him in the first round on the mat, Barboza is going to piece him up. Uh, Barboza's kicks are just disgusting. The dude hits so hard. You feel it for weeks when he hits you. Um, Amir Khani, just, he's not going to be able to survive more than a, a, a round of Barboza landing punishment. Because Amir Khani's not, his striking has come along from where it was. But it's very one note. You know, he, he can do a little bit with a jab. He's okay. Um, you know, he, he gets in and out. But, like, if he doesn't get Barbosa down and he's got a strike with him, it's game over. So um, I'm leaning pretty hard, Barbosa. But, you know, you, you've got that, that early sub. It's Amir Khani's path to victory. Pays off huge on DraftKings. So you got to include him. All right, next fight on the card, uh, 265 heavyweight bout between Ben Rothwell and Marcin Tabira. We typically, um, I guess, you know, in GPPs, we like to target these fights because with the heavyweights, you're there's a pretty good chance to see a knockout. However, yeah. uh, this fight, Rothwell, four of his last fights have gone to the cards. I think Tibera, his last two fights have gone to the cards. So we're seeing these two guys potentially go to the cards and not really deliver significant volume in terms of significant strikes. How are you reading this fight? Because if we're basing it off volume, I'm not crazy about either fighter, but there's still a potential with these heavyweight bouts that, you know, we do see a first round knockout, but at the same time, these are two guys that I could see really gassing out pretty quickly. They basically said, what fight is Dan Malin going to least enjoy? <laughs> and, and they made that matchmaking because <laughs> Rothwell is just this big, dumb heavyweight that's slow, uh, can eat any kind of punishment, but just, you know, is not fast enough to, to return that much fire. Uh, and Tabora is just totally checked out as a kickboxer. You know, he's got a karate background, so he was already like only moderately dangerous. He ha- does have a nice head kick. Uh, if he does get that leg up and, and lands the head kick, it-, it-, it can be dangerous. But he's totally fallen back on his wrestling and just cruises to decision wins. Um, and you know, for good reason. He got he's got knocked out a bunch uh, before his his last two wins against. You know, a pretty moderate competition. So that's the real concern uh, there is that Tabor is either going to probably control wrestle his way to a decision, or at some point Rothwell hits him over the 15 minutes and knocks him out because Rothwell does hit like a truck because he's a huge human being and Tabor's chin is diminished. But like if that happens in the middle of the third round, that does not pay off at all for DraftKings with no volume for Ben Rothwell. Um, so, you know, a, a, a big telltale for Tabora has been what weight he comes in at. So if he's, like, over 250, he's generally been pretty sluggish and not a very good wrestler. Uh, if he's in, like, the 240s, <clears throat> you know, high 240s, that's kind of where you, you want him to be is, like, 247, 248. Uh, yeah, since they don't really have to cut weight, he's in good shape and, and ready to rock. Um, that's kind of when you, you either think he's a little more dangerous uh, to, to win the fight um, or you just want to stay away from the other side. So let's see what he comes in at on, on weigh-in day. 
All right, next fight on the card. Uh, some tough names here. Uh, Marcus Perez versus, uh, I'm going to guess, Drikas Duplessis. Uh, he's the number one middleweight in South Africa. He's making his UFC debut. And, according to DraftKings, he is the favorite fighter. He is $8,400 compared to Perez's uh, $7,800. I apologize. Um, and uh, Duplessis is also the minus 160 favorite. And that's that's a bigger favorite than Corey Sanhagen. Is, is, those are better odds, I guess, than Sanhagen's getting. How do you feel about a guy making his UFC debut? It's a really good card. I mean, Perez isn't exactly the best competition the UFC can offer. I guess this is just, you know, if you want to try and build up a guy's profile with Duplessis, maybe throw him Perez, get him a, a nice win in his debut. Um, I'm having a little trouble looking at this one early on, though. Yeah, it, it, Duplessis is the weird uh, debutante late replacement favorite. You know, that's... You usually don't get any of those things as a favorite, and he is. So that tells you something about his background. He's legit. Um, South Africa does take its its MMA pretty seriously. Um, and he's he's got uh, two fights with Roberto Soldich, uh, who's a guy that could probably step into the UFC and immediately fight a, a top 15 fighter um, and, and be a, a competitive, you know, maybe an underdog, but a competitive line. So... He went one and one. They knocked each other out. It's the only loss, uh, I believe, on on to, to Places' record. Um, I'm sorry, he's got one other loss a little ways back, uh, very early in the career. But um, you know, basically, KSW was running out of people for him to fight. They were trying to find people, um, and uh, you know, he's he's well rounded. He's dangerous on the feet, but he's not like. He's not a madman, and and I think that's a good thing against Perez because Perez is tricky. Like, he's not great anywhere, but he will take advantage if you give him the opportunity. And he's beaten some people in the UFC that you know probably shouldn't have. Like, he beat Ian Heinish with an arm triangle because Heinish got sloppy. Um, you know. So, but generally, Perez is though. Can you be in the UFC bar if you can beat me? You're definitely in the UFC. If you can't beat me, you know you probably aren't going to get another shot. I don't think Duplacis is coming in here and and you know wasting his shot. Uh, and he's all 14 of his wins have been finishes. Perez has never been finished. You know he's only been defeated three times, but that's mainly competition based. But yeah, you know it's it's a it's a nice compelling note there that uh, Duplacis mentioned in his presser. You know, kind of said like. I've never not finished an opponent in a win, and he's never been finished, and that's my goal here. Um, so I, he, he sounds calm, collected, ready to go. I, I would pick him. You know, Perez has maybe um, a small amount of interest for people building a lot of lineups as a leverage play in big field tournaments. All right, moving on to the next fight. We have another heavyweight bout. Uh, there's three on this card, so I want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. Uh, we got Tom Aspinall. He is 9,400 versus Allen, the Black Samurai Bordeaux. 6,800, he is a Frenchman. And if I don't really like playing Canadians in my MMA lineups, I really don't like playing French people. Um, Aspinall is obviously a huge favorite here. And I feel like among the three heavyweight fights, I feel like we're most likely to see a knockout here. Um, again, these are sluggish fights. Um, I could... I. I don't really want to watch these guys fight three rounds. I'd love to see this end in the first round just for my entertainment uh, perspective. Um, but I'm definitely taking Aspinall here. It, it's, it just seems safe based on the DraftKings pricing uh, and the fact that he is a minus 580 favorite at the moment. 
Uh, seems a little easy for Aspinall. I, I, I wouldn't play either guy in cash. I think that's a pretty steep price for a heavyweight in cash. But, I mean, are you feeling good about Aspinall on this one? Yeah, pretty good about Aspinall. But you make a nice uh, note there about playing heavyweights in cash. It's just if anything is going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong at heavyweight. The, the yeah, because you really need the knockout for these guys. Yeah, you, you know, you don't get the pace, generally speaking. You don't get a ton of wrestling with a few exceptions. Um. You know, uh, discrepancy in talent-wise that we expect, yes, this would be a cash play. Um, but, yeah, for, the, for that, that heavyweight variance, you do have to be careful. Uh, Aspinall should cruise here. The, the big thing to note is that Badeau is a 205-er coming up to heavyweight. Um, yeah, late replacement. Uh, you know, not really recent, but uh, they had to replace Aspinall's original opponent. Aspinall's a beefy dude, so he's going to have the grappling advantage. You know, he probably loses a speed advantage here, but he's he's a pretty good athlete for a heavyweight from what we've seen. Never gone past the second round, so we don't really know what his gas tank is like. Um, I don't think we're going to find that out here. He probably does finish it in the first two rounds. All right, next fight on the card. Uh, <clears throat> some tough names here. Yusef Zalal versus Ilya Tapura. Um I don't know how much I'm going to fight or get exposure to this one unless you can talk me on to Tapura, who's making his UFC debut. But, I mean, Zalal at least is 3-0 in the UFC, but all three wins have come by decision. We haven't really seen a good amount of volume either. And the $8,600 price tag, I, you know, I don't necessarily – even though 8600 is pretty easy to hit 10x value. It's just 86 points. You can get a, a win in the second round and still hit that value. But I don't really have much confidence in Zalal reaching that. Um, and I don't know enough about Tapura making his UFC debut. What is your read on this fight? A lot of the sharps in the industry are on Tapuria here. Uh, he's a very capable fighter. Uh, he's technically Georgian from the country, Georgia. Um, you know, and he's got some legit uh, performances. You know, he's a little bit of a wild card like lives a little bit of a flashy lifestyle um, and you know, he's making his debut. So that's, that's where it gets a little scary. Um, plus with Zalal, Zalal's a very, he's shown a very intelligent uh, fight IQ through his three UFC fights, albeit against pretty questionable fighters, Austin Lingo, Jordan Griffin, Peter Barrett. Like if you should be in the UFC, those should all be wins for you. Maybe with the exception of Lingo. The Lingo fight was, was a very nice performance because Lingo was a guy that was ready to, to, you know, make the jump to the UFC, dangerous power puncher. And it turned out that he just wasn't a good enough athlete to match the all. I think Taporia can. Taporia also probably is an equal grappler or a close enough to equal grappler, um, which is something Zalal has really been able to utilize uh, in, in his UFC victories. So if you take that edge away from him, it makes it more of a coin flip. Taporia does got, have a little bit of power. Um, you know, Zalal, he does as well. Like, he's not a, a guy you're going to expect a lot of knockouts from. But uh, he's, you know, his last fight in the LFA before coming to the UFC was a beautiful flying knee. Um, and, and, yeah, so he can pull off stuff like that on occasion. But, yeah, you know, Taporia, I would expect him to trend to be a little bit of a popular cash play because of the price. And the betting line probably closing in uh, as people figure out who he is. Um, so, you know, that, that probably gets a little closer to an even line and Taporia becomes the, the underdog value. But, um, 
you know, his popularity does make you kind of hesitate in GPPs because there's a lot riding there on it on a debutante uh, and and an underdog, and and facing a late replacement as well. Zalal is the late replacement in this case. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tapori was supposed to make his debut. I forget against who, but uh, you know that they. So lost based it. on that, um, I mean, I know we just did like a big thorough breakdown, but based on the fact that Zalal is the late replacement. Uh, Tapuria is making his debut. Is this a fight you might fade, or you still want to get a little exposure to Tapuria? I think you need a little exposure to Tapuria. We've seen Zalal can't really pay off his his DraftKings salary. Um, he's yep. just he's a too smart of a fighter. He doesn't he doesn't want to eat punishment. He doesn't want to get tied up in big wrestling exchanges. It's working for him. He's three and zero, but you know we don't love it as DraftKings players. So Tapuria at seventy six hundred is probably the only guy to hit value. All right, moving on to the next fight. Tom Breeze is on DraftKings, 9,100. Go figure. He's fighting a Canadian, so I'm not going to play him. He's fighting KB Bolar. Canadian, you don't have to play him. That's just my opinion. Those guys suck. Um, but this is, I th- what is this, a middleweight bout? Yeah, middleweight bout. Um, give me Breeze. I mean, I just looked at the fact that Bolar's Canadian, and I'm sorry. Like, this might be the dumbest analysis people ever read, but if your name isn't George St. Pierre and you're yeah. from Canada, I just don't really care to ever fight to play you on my DFS lineups. Yeah, outside of Tanner Boaster, Team Canada is is not uh, been doing well during pandemic weak. times. And, they're weak. You know, we we mentioned it. Yeah, they, their gyms are, are mostly closed and like legitimately closed, not like the U.S. where it's like we're closed and you know that's in quotations and everybody has a key to the, the gym Tennessee and shows up at the same time. Practicing at a high school. <laughs> you know, so um, you know that could be what that's uh, all about. But you know, Bular's a weird case. He's you know, he took five years off in the middle of his career. Um, pretty well-rounded guy like most Canadians. He's Such a Canadian know, move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he's been back on track for a couple of years now, putting wins together. Uh, he's a late replacement as well. Uh, I would have much rather Tom Breeze had fought Roman Kapilov, who is a kickboxer with zero grappling, and Breeze should have breezed to a win there. Um, this one's just hard to break down. The thing about Tom Breeze... Really dangerous striker, crisp. He's long, powerful, um, good grappling as well. With him, it's all between the ears. You know, he's got some well-documented anxiety issues. He, you know, he had a fight where he he pulled out, um, you know, for basically unknown reasons, but it was speculated to be some mental stuff. Uh, he he had another fight scrapped night of the fight where he had a panic attack, um, and you know the fight got canceled. So. You know, he came back against Brendan Allen. You know, not the best guy to, to make a return against because Allen is a, an aggressive fighter and dangerous. And Breeze just looked like he was forcing it. Came in, tried to do a throw, and ended up getting the throw blocked. And Allen landed on top of him, tied him up, ground and pounded him for, you know, a good two, three minutes till Breeze um, was knocked out. So you, you don't love having that as his, his most recent performance. Uh, back in February, but he still keeps getting in the ring. So, like, I keep telling myself, if the guy weren't trying to overcome the anxiety, he wouldn't be getting into the ring. It's going to cause him some issues, yes, but, you know, maybe he can find his comfort level and show that, you know, that Tom Breeze of old that was just a a really lethal striker and a guy that could also submit you pretty quickly. I I think he's got edges in all areas against Bular, who's – Largely an unknown, but uh, I think Breeze should cruise here. It's got risk, though. 
All right, moving on to the next fight of the card. It's uh, luckily the last heavyweight fight that we have to preview. Um, interesting one. Rodrigo Nascimento versus Chris Dachaus. Initially, I looked at the pricing here, and I was like, oh, God, Nascimento's 9,200, 7,000. It's a heavyweight bout. I don't really know if any guy's going to do that well. But at the same time, I remember Chris Dachaus fighting not too long ago against Parker Porter, and he got a first-round knockout in that one as well. So... And this is the kind of fight where, and I don't really, I'll be completely honest, I don't know that much about Nascimento. Um, I think he made his UFC debut back in May, got a win there. But at the same time, like, this is a heavyweight bout. And if you need some salary salary relief based on what we saw Dowcast do against Parker Porter, I'd be more than happy to take a few shots on Dowcast, not necessarily in cash games, but in GPP, because this is another one where I expect it to and inside the distance, and if Dowcaus is on the winning end, I really want him on my lineups. Yeah, uh, not the worst dog play. Uh, it's your classic striker versus grappler. Uh, Dowcaus, the the you know primarily a striker. Nascimento, very dangerous jujitsu game out of Brazil. Uh, his debut against Dante Mays had no trouble. You know, st- stayed with him on the feet in the first round. Dante Mays really doesn't offer any striking challenge uh, other than he can really whip a haymaker if you stand in the same place for five or six seconds. Um, but, you know, he outstruck him in the first round. Second round, got to business with the takedown, submitted him in short order. Doesn't tell us a ton, but, you know, we know Nascimento is at least legit UFC caliber fighter. Dalkis, same thing. Took on Porter Parker Porter, who's not really UFC caliber. He's a guy that's like a really short heavyweight uh, you know, fought at 205 before you got pretty chunked up. And Dawkins just, you know, smoked him. Uh, was the much cleaner striker. I remember in my notes, you know, noting that Dawkins could have some issues with, with, a gra- with the grappling of Porter if Porter chose to go that route, which he didn't. So that does intrigue me here that Nascimento, you know, should be the guy that is going to grapple. Um, it, it just comes down to, does Dawkins have the, the takedown defense to, to make Nascimento stand with him. And then, you know, you got to find out what Nascimento has in, in the striking game because he's still a big dude, Nascimento. He's decently quick on the feet and, and you know, has got some power for as big as he is. So should be a fun fight. Uh, I think it's a great one to target for GPPs. And like you said, uh, if you need some salary relief, Dalkus and GPPs, not the worst play. Love it. All right, uh, next fight on the card, another middleweight bout, Impa Kassanjane versus Joaquin Buckley. Uh, we saw Kassanjane in not too long ago. Actually, I think yeah. we've seen both these guys fight in the last three months. But we saw Kassanjane take on Mackie Patolo, our favorite punching bag. We can never really get the right read on him, um, but we did the last time out. However, Kassanjane, while he had the volume with 85 significant strikes, he got the win via decision. He didn't really have any advances, takedowns, or knockdowns. Um, but he's 8,900 in this bout. It, it looks like it's a good matchup for him on paper versus Joaquin Buckley, um, who also fought back in August uh, in a losing effort in the third round. Just not in love with Buckley in this fight. It looks like it should go Cassandre's way. He is a minus 250 favorite at the moment. Right. Going to be a banger here. Cassandre. Banger. Com- yeah, he comes, he comes to fight. Cassandre, you know, he, he's really raw in the MMA game. He was a former collegiate football player uh so he's got some wrestling like based on his his physicality but it's not like technical wrestling i really thought he was going to dominate patolo with the wrestling you know didn't really force the issue um you know he tried one takedown patolo stuffed it and 
they stayed on the feet from there. Kasanjane was winning the striking exchanges, but he was getting hit. Uh, he was eating some Patolo heat, which which doesn't feel good. Um, but managed, you know, to to outwork Patolo over three rounds. But yeah, I mean, you know, he landed eighty five significant strikes with nothing else. Doesn't pay at the price. He he needs the wrestling. Uh, Joaquin Butlickley, um fight with Kevin Holland, man. He took a whooping from Kevin Holland, but he kept on coming, and he's this stocky little dude that just wings bombs every single punch. And, you know, you're like, when is this guy going to get tired? And he just didn't. He just kept winging him up into the third round where he got knocked out. Um, so I don't think Hassan Janae is going to knock him out. I, I think Hassan Janae would probably need to win a decision. Buckley, though, does pose that that uh, problem that he throws so damn hard that um, you know, they're, they're about the same size, he and Kassanjane. And if Kassanjane, you know, eats some of the shots the way he did against Patolo, he does have some risk there. Um, and Kassanjane's fought a lot. He fought August 1st uh, on the Contender Series, had a nice win. But then he fought Patolo August 29th. Um, you know, barely, barely a month has gone by since a three-round fight with a good amount of punishment absorbed. Um, so you have to wonder, is that going to start to slow him down a little He's also got the rawness, uh, yeah, as we mentioned, not a guy who's been in the MMA game very long. Buckley, you know, is also very raw. Like, he's a guy that doesn't really have a gym. Like, he just kind of trains, and, and he's his own coach and stuff. Um, that should change now that he's in the UFC and, and you yeah. know, getting that, that kind of payday. I but, really uh, like guys that just change, just train themselves. It's weird. Yeah, like, you know, it's it, it, it's kind of worked for him he's 10 and 3 he was 10 and 2 when he came into the ufc yeah um, it's weird because it worked for mike perry in his last fight as well <laughs> <laughs> well yeah that's a different story uh quick quick aside on perry we got him coming up on the next fight card uh he auctioned off who gets to be his corner man because his girlfriend is pregnant and oh, uh no. i think some dude paid like i want to say 30 grand for it um since you you can't go to a ufc fight right now and... just to give the guy water and towel him off but it's a ringside seat you know you, you, yeah. you can't get into the ufc arena it, you know this is over in dubai so if you can fly to dubai to corner <laughs> mike perry you can pay him 30 grand that's just what i heard i don't know if it was confirmed i'd be worried but... he'd kick my ass even after i paid him yeah yeah um so that'll be a fun card to break down but yeah uh kasanjane probably wins the decision here without the wrestling though not going to pay the price tag all right, next fight on the card, we got Tony Kelly, 8,700 versus Ali Al-Qaisi. I'll bite the bullet on this one. I had the wrong read on Al-Qaisi in his last fight against Erwin Rivera. I lost a lot of money uh, playing this guy in about 30% of my, of my lineups. That was stupid on my part. I'm not making that same mistake this time around. Uh, I'm not in love with either fighter necessarily, but if I had to choose one, I'm probably going to lean Kelly. Yeah, Kelly uh, is the guy who's probably going to fight harder uh, for your money. You know, he's he's been been working to get to the UFC, came from kind of nowhere, no real fighting background, uh, you know, in the traditional sense of, like, he's not a wrestler, he's not a boxer, just basically a brawler. Um, put on a scrap with Kai Kamaka in his short-notice debut, uh, where they each landed 114 significant strikes. Managed to come back after really losing the first two rounds solidly um, and, and at least make it a, a fun fight. I think I won fight of the night as well. Uh, so, you know, if, if Al Kaisi can't put him away, he's got that same problem, and he's probably nowhere near as good as Kai Kamaka, who's a very good prospect. But Kai Kamaka, five takedowns in that fight, that's the problem. Al Kaisi's got the wrestling game, so you can't be confident in, the, in this one. Um 
I think you need to, if you're playing more than one lineup, you need to have a share or two of each guy because Kelly could win it, win by knockout. You know, he, he does come right out of the gate, doesn't mess around, and, and he comes to bang. Kaisi could also win, you know, behind a lot of wrestling uh, and, and matching that pace a little bit and do the same thing Kamaka did and have a ton of significant strikes and a huge score at, at a uh, relatively cheap price. So, Good stuff. Uh, next fight on the card, we've got about three to go. We have Orlando Morales. Uh, wait, did I get that wrong? Omar, Omar Morales, my bad. Omar Morales uh, versus Giga Chikadze. Uh, we saw Chikadze fight Erwin Rivera. That was, I think that was Rever- Rivera came in as a late replacement, mm-hmm. and everyone was all over Giga for that one because he was 7,000 fighting a late replacement. Um, really just punched the crap out of Rivera, but Rivera kept taking it. So, mm-hmm. you know... Chikadze is 3-0 in the UFC. All three wins versus are coming via decision. Don't necessarily love the upside for him, especially at 7,900. I think at this price, I'd rather just take a shot on Morales. You know, he's 2-0. In the, both guys have gotten their wins uh, via decision, but I feel like um, I kind of want to lean Morales here over Ch- uh, Chikadze just from what I've seen in three fights with Giga. You know, so note on Chikadze's three fights. He's been booked to fight Mike Davis three different times. Mike Davis has pulled out all three times. There's like a little bit of a backstory with those guys. Like apparently, they used to, yeah, like they used to train or something. And it's there, you know, it's it's maybe Mike Davis doesn't want to fight Chikadze, but he also doesn't, you know, want to admit that he doesn't want to fight him, kind of thing. I don't know. That's just one of the rumors I heard. So, um, but yeah, Giga is a. Uh, a very good kickboxer, not a good wrestler, but it hasn't been a problem for him in the UFC here. Uh, he, he's he's been taken down a couple times, but um, hasn't had to pay the price for it. Morales also a kickboxer, opportunistic with the takedown. You know, if he catches a kick or something, he'll do it. But you know, not a wrestler by trade. These guys are going to stand and bang. It's going to be a fun kickboxing match. I'm going to back Giga here because Morales is the late replacement in this case. I don't think, you know, normally Giga kind of fades down the stretch. um, But I think, you know, he's been working to get the cardio right. And uh, in this case, the other guy's the late replacement. So I think he's going to be able to be a little bit more solid in that area. But yeah, this is one you absolutely have to target, I think, um, because the prices are so close. And if it does get any kind of volume, uh, in the striking department, it, it could pay off. All right, next fight on the card. I believe it's the only women's fight on the card. We got Tracy Cortez versus Stephanie Egger. Cortez is a nine thousand dollar price tag on DraftKings. Egger is seventy two hundred. Nine K is pretty tough to pay up for. Um, not to be sexist or anything, but for women's fights where we typically haven't seen too many finishes. However, with COVID and what we've seen lately, you know, we've we've touched on this in previous podcasts. We get a lot of those submissions on the back. Uh, Cortez is currently a minus 185 favorite. Um, I think Edgar is making her UFC debut. I'll let you confirm that. Who do you yeah. like in this fight? This is right off the bat. This might be one that I typically shy away from. This is a tough one. Edgar is the late replacement making her UFC debut. She's a, a Swiss fighter. Um, the problem is she is a jujitsu specialist and a grappler. And that's like Cortez's main strength is her wrestling so it could be nullified it could also put her in the danger zone where she could get submitted because she's a strong girl and and you know 
has the power of wrestling, but it's not all finesse and technique. So, like, she's putting herself down into somebody's guard. Could easily get subbed. Triangles, arm bars, etc. Egger, you know, we just don't know anything about her. Uh, she's 5-1. and one. Yeah, In her last fight, she just locked in a rear naked choke in, in a matter of minutes. So, that was... Uh, that was like a month ago, so she's nice and fresh. Didn't didn't take any punishment. Um, it, it's who the UFC could get here. Cortez could. There is a scenario where like she is just able to chain wrestle. Um, she's got pretty decent pacing, and and that could hit the nine k um, price tag. But there's other people in the range that are probably a little bit more interesting. And yeah, right. I, guess, I, I guess if you need a GPP dog, Egger at 7,200 has got that submission possibility. Uh, you know, that could pay off as well. Yeah, and just kind of looking at her, she looks like she looks pretty long just in the photos. Um, you know, five, eight, like she has like a longer torso and looks like she just like in general would have a length advantage against Cortez, which I typically go for. And I, I do give some weight when I'm examining fighters for my DFS lineups. Inches taller. Uh, you know, Cortez isn't a huge girl. Uh, right. That's notable. All right, we'll move on to the opening fight of the card. This is the one I'm going to be targeting quite a bit. Tagir Ulanbekov versus Bruno Silva. Uh, I believe Ulanbekov, a lot of fighters make on the UFC debuts. It's just one of those cards. And Ulanbekov is $9,300 on DraftKings. Bruno Silva is 6900 Normally, in any other fight or any other DFS sport, I'd say that's nice. Uh, but sixty nine hundred dollars is is just means you're a significant dog in UFC. Uh, Tagir is a minus four ten favorite. Um, is there a lot of hype surrounding this guy? Uh, what's the story behind him? Yeah, for sure. He, I like that. Yeah, he, he's in the the Nagamedov, uh circle there with with uh, Khabib and, and you know uh, Khabib's dad was the guy who you know had trained him prior to his his passing. Uh, so, dude is legit. He's 12-1, and one, but should really be 13-1. and one. He lost to Zalgas Zemagulov. Uh, we might remember him from the last time we were at Fight Island. Scrappy little uh, fighter. Um, but, like, just got his his ass wrestled off by, uh, by Tagir here in their fight. And somehow, because they were, I think they were in his home country of Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. And uh, the... the the judges went his way with a majority decision, and um, you know, uh, the uh, Tagir and his management pulled him from Fight Night's global uh, promotion after that because you know it was they were like, if you're going to do this to us, then forget it, rip up the contract, we're out of here. Um, but yeah, dude, dude is number one Russian prospect, uh, training with the you know the, the Dagestani killers, um, should come in here and smoke Bruno Silva. You know, we've we've been disappointed by Russian prospects before. Um, Tukagov, you know, we, we kind of made the same mistake in, in his fight um, against Hakeem Dewadu a couple cards back where we are like, oh, you know, the guy trains yeah. with Khabib's circle and um, should be ready to go. And he did have a nice fight through round and a half, but uh, guessed out, couldn't couldn't wrestle and uh, didn't take it. But He lost to a Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I believe Nigerian, Canadian. But I believe, yeah, you might be. Yeah, you're right. So, um, you know, you got that that Nigerian kicker in there that uh, um, makes him a little dangerous. But uh, you know, Bruno Silva is just kind of a dude that's in the UFC, and you know, he used to train with Segudo. 
you know, he's in that he's in a decent Brazilian camp, but like he's 0-2 in the UFC. Um, got arm triangle by Khalid Taha. Taha's more of a boxer than a than a submission guy, and you know, Silva's supposed to be the jiu-jitsu guy, so don't love that he got submitted once. Um, lost the decision to David Dvorak, who looked pretty good in his last fight, but like still Dvorak's just kind of a, a middling European prospect. Um, so definitely in trouble here. I guess you've you've got to just worry about um, Tagir paying off, uh, uh, you know, uh, the salary. Um, with a prospect, you just you know you never know what's going to happen. But I think that the the wrestling is there for him to take advantage of, and he's able to uh, to get Silva down. Um, yeah, Silva Silva hasn't been taken down in either fight, but neither guy was really a, a wrestler, so we don't really know what Silva's wrestling is going to look like. All right, so we've broken down the entire card at this point. A lot of fighters making the UFC debut. How is your cash core looking for this for this particular card? Yeah, with this many fights, I feel like the cat the, the main event stack is not a bad idea. Right. Generally, I want a fight you're a little more confident in to go the, the distance or make it into the deeper rounds. But with Sanhagen's volume, you know, you kind of just have to say, you know what, let me let me make sure I'm getting the winner and Sanhagen's volume and, you know, 12 other fights. It's going to be hard to, to just, you know, make sure you, you if you, if you're just picking one guy out of the main event and then five other fighters, you're going to have a hard time going five and out. It, it always is hard. Um, you know, uh, to place this is going to be a guy uh, people are pretty interested in, I think, because, um, you know, the, the line's moving his way. He's 8,400. But again, he's making his debut. Um, Barbosa is a guy I'm very confident in, but I don't think everyone else is because of the submission risk. Um, Taporia, you know, again, a debutante, but should turn into a line value. Um, Tom Breeze, another guy like facing a debutante, you know, that should be a safe spot, but you got Tom Breeze's issues. So cash cores are going to look pretty all over the place. So don't feel like you have to get pigeonhole here you can you can go a lot of different ways what live do- or uh, what underdogs are you looking at for possible bets or just i guess gpp long shots just to save a couple bucks or a uh, guy that you know a lot of people are getting clued in on bular you know i don't personally see him winning the fight but he's somebody that's worth mentioning uh, joaquin buckley if that dude lands a punch you know you got you got big trouble uh you're gonna have a hard time staying on your feet um Kikazi, uh, is also a dog you know he's got the kickboxing to definitely win a kickboxing fight and then stephanie Ager, you know uh getting tracy cortez who's pretty raw in her own right and and gonna probably put Ager on her back and that could be a mistake um you know maybe she doesn't maybe it's a striking affair and she realizes that's the way to go but hard to Hard to, you know, shake those habits when all you've done is, is mainly wrestled. All right. Good stuff as always, Mike. Thank you so much for your time. Pretty thorough breakdown. Thank you for guiding me. Kind of shed my shed some light on a lot of fighters that obviously I knew very little about. So many debuts and the fact that I just didn't have time to actually make some notes for this one. Uh, feel better about building a lineup, so thank you. Um, yeah, best of luck. So ahead. many people debuting is a nice note there because that, that gives, you know, people listening right now a little bit of an edge where – you know, people looking at it like, I don't know who Ilya Tapura and Tagir Ulanbekov mm-hmm. and Stephanie Agar are. Like, right. now you got a little bit of a clue. Exactly. 
And that's why you are the best at this. But, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you and best of luck to the FA Nation this week.